Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, host of Adult Education Advisor Library. I started this podcast uh, about a month ago, uh, but things took a little bit of a turn. It's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be to produce this podcast. As I mentioned uh, previously, I'm not a great writer, so writing out my thoughts on each album has taken me a little bit more time than I was anticipating. I think I've got a good rhythm going, so hopefully I can get back on track to getting you one new episode every single week. Sorry for the break. Uh, between A and B, episodes one and two, but here we are, episode two, ready for your ears. I recently had a conversation about music with a friend. We were lamenting on a certain album that is turning 20 years old this year. We were talking about Fall Out Boy's classic, Take This to Your Grave. The conversation centered around the fact that it came out 20 years ago, but still sounds like something current. When I listen to it, I don't think, wow, this is 20 years old. Maybe that's because I was a young adult when it came out, so the album holds a special place in my heart. But think about it for just a second. What are some of the big rock bands of today? I mean, I'm looking at the rock radio charts right now, and some of the names in the top 30 include the aforementioned Fall Out Boy, Weezer, Death Cab for Cutie, Linkin Park, Gorillaz, and others. Maybe part of the reason that albums like Fall Out Boy's Take This to Your Grave don't sound old is because today's hit alternative songs are from bands that also had hits 20 years ago. In fact, Death Cab for Cutie's massive album Transatlanticism and Linkin Park's Meteora both came out 20 years ago. I'm sure there's a deeper conversation here about how rock music lacks creativity and originality these days, and that's why we're seeing the same bands still on top. There's also a conversation, though, about how streaming services have kind of cheapened music and older artists and songs still research well for radio, so there's no reason for them to try something new. But I think part of the reason why 20- or 30-year-old albums don't sound old now is because they never went away. Fall Out Boy music never disappeared from radio stations, and they're on all kinds of playlists on Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music. When I think back to when I was younger, say in high school, in the mid to late 90s, songs that were 20 years old weren't songs that you heard all the time on the radio. There were no streaming services or playlists. If you wanted to hear those older songs, you needed to find a good classic rock radio station or just go out and buy the album yourself. Think about it. My freshman year of high school started in 1995. Let's take it back 20 years from there. So we're looking at 1975. Elton John's greatest hits came out, as well as his Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy album. Also, what a terrible album name. Uh, you had albums from the Eagles, Earth, Wind and Fire, Chicago, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and of course, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. These are all incredible artists and just legendary albums. But even in 1995, they sounded old. They sounded dated. They sounded like the era that they came out in. When you hear Bruce Springsteen's song from Born to Run, it makes you think of the 70s, right? And Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, those bands were done in 1995 and have been done for a long time. They were the classic rock staples in the mid-90s. Remember Wayne's World? That movie came out in 1992, and they were making Zeppelin jokes then. No stairway. Denied. People loved and respected bands like Led Zeppelin and Chicago in the 90s, but there wasn't any question that the music landscape had changed, and these bands were in the past. I don't feel like we have that today. Sure, there are musical trends that pop up from time to time that get a lot of buzz in the world of pop culture, but the music overall has largely stayed the same, especially in rock music. You could definitely make an argument that the musical landscape of genres like hip-hop or country is different than it was 20 years ago. When you hear a song like, I don't know, Redneck Yacht Club played after Marin Morris, it's pretty clear that country has taken some different steps. 
Now, does something need to go away in order for us to learn to appreciate it? I wonder. I don't know. Do we have the same appreciation for bands like Blink-182 and Foo Fighters like we do for bands like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles? Now, before you get all mad at me, I'm not comparing Blink and the Foos to the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, but I think they are artists that represent a musical era, a time period. When you hear What's My Age Again from Blink-182, I mean, I don't know. I remember being a senior in high school and getting back at all my friends who made fun of me for loving Blink's first couple of albums before they were cool. I was like, oh, now you like them because they're on TRL? I don't know. It reminds me of that time. I think if the music of, say, Linkin Park or Fall Out Boy had disappeared off modern rock and alternative radio, then we may hold them with a different level of respect. But they're still just bands today. Bands with huge followings, but bands nonetheless. I don't know if they hold the legendary status that the so-called classic rock bands do. There's another question that comes up here, and that's why didn't the music go away? Why does the current era of rock music seem to just keep getting extended? There's a big conversation on that, and it kind of comes back to the ease of which we have access to music. With artists dropping new songs every week and people being able to record music much easier with computer programs at their house or on the road, music, in a sense, has been cheapened. The attention span that we have for music is much shorter. For example, an artist like Luke Combs, who's on top of the game in country music right now, dropped a 12-song brand new album last year. Less than a year later, he just released an 18-song project, and at the time that I'm recording this show, it's only been out for a couple of weeks and fans are already asking for more. The demand for new music is always there, but newer songs don't tend to have the same staying power that they used to. I think Taylor Swift is a fantastic example of this. Taylor just puts out brilliant music nonstop, but how many of those songs stick around on pop radio for years to come? I mean, of all the massive hits that she's had, there's only a couple of songs that still stick around. You're more likely to hear a Taylor Swift song on a country station than you are on a pop station at least an older song. The new ones, that's a whole different story right now. 20 years from now, though, I wonder how much of today's music will still be thought about or if most of it will just kind of disappear. Now, don't get me wrong here. When I say that streaming services and technology have cheapened music, I'm not saying it's any worse or better than it was. I just don't think the listener has the same investment in the songs that they used to. We used to save our money to buy a CD or record and then listen to it till we got sick of it or until the artist dropped a new album, which sometimes would be a couple years from then. Now a new song comes out or an album comes out, we listen to it on Spotify and then we're on to the next thing. I do love streaming, though. I mean, it's given me access to so many great albums or songs that I either couldn't afford to buy or maybe I just didn't know about them. I'm guilty of that, too, though. I build a playlist. I'll listen to a brand new song for a couple of weeks and then forget that it even exists. So I'm a guilty party in this equation as well. So why am I talking about this? Well, I wanted to paint a picture. Back in the 90s, when I first got my driver's license and started driving around in my car, it was very important to pick the right CDs for the drive. Many of us experience this. Your friends hop in the car, immediately look to see what music you have. There were times when I'd suggest someone else drive because they had the hot new album at the time. I'd be like, hey, let's drive with Jeremy because I want to listen to that record. Jeremy also had the best sound system in his car. Side note, he had this massive subwoofer and amplifiers that made things crazy loud. There was a rock band called Piston. It looks like it's spelled Piston, P-I-S-T-O-N, like a Detroit Piston, but there's a tiny space in it, so it's really Piston. Anyway, they had a song called Gray Flap. I wouldn't put it in the upper echelon of late 90s rock, but my God, it sounded 
fucking amazing in Jeremy's car. Not only would the bass in the song shake his car, but we once had someone parked next to us at a red light complain because it was shaking his as well. I didn't get a lot of requests to drive in my car, probably because it was a two-door and people hated climbing in the back. There was also the element of the uh, unreliability of my car. Is that a word, unreliability? Well, it is for today's podcast. Also probably because my musical taste didn't tend to fall in line with most of my other friends. No one in my group wanted to hear the new hardcore album from some local band when we could instead be in Mike's car listening to the new Counting Crows record. But one thing that really wasn't cool in the mid-90s was old stuff. In fact, old stuff isn't really ever cool to a teenager, right? So I didn't see a lot of kids rocking out to the Beatles or Elton John in their cars. Didn't play well for me when I would pull up somewhere blaring the Beach Boys. So welcome to episode two of Visor Library, an adult education podcast. We're talking about the letter B. So we got the Beach Boys classic Pet Sounds. There was a time that if you asked me to give you my top five artists of all time, I'd have told you that Jimmy Eat World was on top of my Mount Rushmore, but the Beach Boys were a very close second. I don't even know how I really came to love them so much. As I was saying before, old stuff isn't cool when you're a kid. You want to have the new shiny toy, right? So me finding the Beach Boys was kind of random. Even more random was that a college roommate of mine also loved them. He had a different sort of affection for them. By that, I mean they were the only music he listened to. Like, seriously, that was the only thing he ever put on in the apartment. Not judging him, but I used to think all the time that there's a whole world of music going on out there. We don't need to hear I Get Around one more time on the apartment stereo. I think I found the Beach Boys like most people did, and it was through some of their classic or oldies radio stations playing a song like Let's Go Surfing or something like that. Let's go surfing now, everybody's learning how, come on a safari with me. Those songs are fine, and they're classics, don't get me wrong, but it was pet sounds that always stood out to me. Maybe it's the harmonies, the song structure, the emotion. It's hard to pinpoint one aspect of that album that really drew me in. I'm not going to even attempt to dive into the real history behind Pet Sounds because there are plenty of other podcasts and articles that you can find on that, and they'll do a lot better with it than I could. But Pet Sounds was also the moment when the Beach Boys went from a sort of gimmicky surfer pop band to a legit legendary rock band. It was the moment that would catapult them into the upper echelon of music. Frontman Brian Wilson famously was jealous of the Beatles and their album Rubber Soul. That's what inspired him to start working on the song God Only Knows, which is the centerpiece of Pet Sounds, in my opinion. Pet Sounds would kind of be the start of a little rivalry between the Beach Boys and Beatles. The Beatles record Rubber Soul inspired Pet Sounds. Then the Beatles heard Pet Sounds, and that inspired them to make Sgt. Pepper. I don't remember who it was, but I do remember seeing a quote from one of the Beatles saying that they were always jealous of Pet Sounds. They were mad that they didn't make it. And while the Beatles live in infamy with popular culture, I don't know if the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds get quite the credit they deserve. They're certainly revered by music fans, but I don't think they had the lasting impact for the mainstream audience in the same way. So let's dive into this album, Pet Sounds. It's just a masterpiece. If you've never heard it, please take some time to listen to it. It's relatively short. All the songs, for the most part, are like two or three minutes long. And do it with your headphones on or earbuds, whatever you use to listen to music. Really take in the layers that are going on in some of these songs. I'm a big music fan, and even I have a hard time hearing everything in each of these songs. Track one is Wouldn't It Be Nice. I mean, come on. This is just one of those legendary songs. It's been in all kinds of movies and TV shows. It's hard to find a better first track for an album. I'm sure we could talk about 
this in a later episode of this show. But first song, track one, side ones, whatever you want to call them, this has got to be one of the greatest leadoff songs in rock and roll history. Track two is You Still Believe in Me. It's up next. My favorite part of this song, honestly, is just the random bicycle bells that pop up. And then at the end, there's this horn honking. I don't know what it is about those elements, but they just make the song stand out. You Still Believe in Me is the perfect example for why this album was revolutionary. It's the layering. There's so much going on in each and every song. You can listen to a song a hundred times and still discover something new on Listen 101. Track three is That's Not Me. This is the first song on the album that reminds me of their previous surf rock roots. It's got similar vibes to Surf and Safari at all. Uh, thematically, it's different, but the vibe is still there. Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulders. Probably my least favorite song on Pet Sounds. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate it or anything. I still think it's a great song. But if I'm going to skip one, it's going to be this one. It's just it's very airy and dreamy and kind of just lays there for me compared to the other songs on the record. Side note here, have you ever watched the documentary Echo in the Canyon? It takes a look at the incredible music that was made in Laurel Canyon back in the 60s. The Beach Boys were a big part of that. Brian Wilson set up shop in a house where he put a piano in a sandbox to write music. I feel like I hear that in the song I'm Waiting for the Day. I don't know why. It's got a big feel, the percussion. It just feels epic. It also has that classic Beach Boy harmony in the chorus. Let's Go Away for a While is the next one. It's an instrumental, and it's a great song, but it almost feels like kind of a segue to me. I feel like it should have been the last track on what would have been side A of the original album release. It's a perfect song to get you from side A to side B. It's a transitional song. kind of recaps what you already heard and shifts you to what's coming next. Sadly, though, it's not the last song on side A. That honor belongs to Sloop John B. And if you were to give me a blind listen test and tell me that the guys behind Surfing USA were the same guys behind Pets, sounds, I tell you that you're crazy, but Sloop John B is the song that would convince me. Much like That's Not Me earlier in the record, it's the perfect transition song from what the Beach Boys once were to what they had become. And on that note, I guess it makes sense that it's the last song on the first side of the record. It's time to put that era behind us, right? Side B kicks off with God Only Knows. I mean, if Pet Sounds only had three songs, wouldn't it be nice? Sloop John B and God Only Knows, it would still be an iconic album. These three songs have stood the test of time. You don't need me to tell you anything about God Only Knows. You know it, you love it, and it's, it's just perfect. If you find yourself with a minute, look up the Wikipedia page for Pet Sounds. Scroll down nearly to the bottom. It lists all the musicians and instruments used on the record. It's an extensive list. And I'm pretty sure you hear every single one of them on the next song. I know there's an answer. The soundscape on this song is just insanity. Here Today keeps that epic sound going. Brian Wilson packs so many things into this tune, and everything just feels so big. But at the same time, it works. Nothing feels out of place. Everything in here, even if it does seem like it's a random hodgepodge of instruments and sounds, it all works. And that's part of the brilliance of Pet Sounds. Nothing feels out of place. It all sounds like it belongs.
We've got three songs left now. Our next one is I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Brian Wilson certainly unloads a lot of feelings on this album. What we knew of the Beach Boys before Pet Sounds was this beachy image of these all-American type guys that love surfing, dancing, and partying with chicks. There's some heavy music on Pet Sounds, though, and this is a great example of it. I Just Wasn't Made for These Times takes a deep dive into what I think would now be called imposter syndrome and maybe even some depression. The second to last track is Pet Sounds. This is another instrumental, this time setting us up for the last song on the album. And that honor belongs to Caroline No. Brian Wilson used to refer to this song as the best he's ever written. While it's not my personal favorite song on the album, it's hard to argue with him. It's a very well-written song, great way to put a bow on Pet Sounds. And I believe it was the first single off the album as well. Pet Sounds is revered today, but it wasn't back then. In fact, sales for the album were much lower than anticipated. The public did not receive this album the way the band and record executives had hoped. In the music world, Pet Sounds catapulted Brian Wilson into genius status. But sadly, the pressure and everything surrounding Pet Sounds started to drive him a little mad. Wilson had a lot of mental health issues and even depression. He became somewhat of a recluse and really stepped back from being a part of the band. We see stories like this all the time, right? Major artistic achievements are often followed by mental or physical breakdowns. In order to create a magical work of art, a person needs to dedicate their entire soul to it. Wilson did just that for Pet Sounds, and I'm not sure he's ever really been able to bounce back. Knowing what happened to him after the album, sometimes I even feel a little guilty loving it so much. And sometimes I wonder about that infamous line from the song God Only Knows. I wonder if it was written about the album itself. God only knows what I'd be without you. 